It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. To the people that have done this, your time is running out. You will be found and you will be dragged before court. The small businesses we know in every sector that are being hit here. Do we want all those local little cafes gone? Our differences should be celebrated. It's something to embrace. Different backgrounds, different races. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. That text message that just landed on your phone that tells you you owe some customs money to unpost, delete it and ignore it. There, if, if you owe unpost money for customs, they'll send you a card. They don't do it through text message. Front page of the Echo and I'll be talking later about a, an incident that we've heard about here where people get these texts on their phones purporting to come from unpost, telling them that they owe money in customs charges for something they've bought and they're losing hundreds, sometimes thousands of euro because it is a scam writ large in capital letters. So that text message you opened up that says it comes from unpost and you owe some customs charge, delete it. Come back to that later on. Good morning to you. 0818 96 96 96, the number. The text or WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. Send the email opinion at 96fm.ie. We go first to uh, tragic news uh, from the roads. We have had such a tragic few days on our roads and all in the one general geographical area. It started last Friday. The opening of the bypass, the McCroom bypass, there was a misfortunate woman uh, died in an instant in McCroom that, that very day. And then there was a tragedy the other night in, in Ballingiri and then another one in Mill Street. It's been a tough time for that general region. Moira Tuig joins me from the 96FM newsroom. The latest one was Mill Street, Moira. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. Yeah, sadly in Mill Street and that happened yesterday evening. It was a man in his 30s uh, lost his life after a collision between a car and truck. Now he was the, the driver and sole occupant of the car and he was sadly pronounced dead at the scene. It happened at around 5pm yesterday PJ um, on the Trishan Road in Mill Street and Gardy have told us that there were no other injuries reported. Now the road was closed for a technical exam by those forensic collision investigators and it's the Gardy in McCroom are appealing for any witnesses to come forward. So if you were on that road around 5pm yesterday or even between 4.30 and quarter past five, so it might have been home time from work or from school or maybe extra curricular activities for kids and if 
you did have a dash cam or camera footage, mm. that Gardaí are looking for that footage um, to try and piece together what happened here. And as you say, PJ, that you know this collision yesterday evening it brings to three uh, the number of people that we've lost on on our Cork roads since last Friday. Yeah, we know more about Balangiri. The woman was named yesterday. She was, yes. So her name was Governor Toomey. Uh, she was 51 and she was uh, down in Balangiri for uh, the funeral of her uncle. Um, so sadly, this tragedy unfolded in the early hours of uh, Tuesday morning. And I suppose as, as many would after a funeral, you know, you, you'd go for some refreshments afterwards and it appears that that is the case in this situation that there was two separate funerals going on in the area on the, the same day on Monday um, and that they were uh, heading home afterwards in the early hours as they say of Tuesday morning when this tragedy unfolded and, and as they say Governor Toomey is 51 she died in the tragedy as she walked home uh, from, from that funeral Two of her friends were injured do we know anything about their condition? Um, I understand there's reports this morning that uh, one of them sustained a broken leg um, and I understand that it may have been her sister that she was with at the time. Um, So really sad and my thoughts go out to to all involved there and to uh, her family and just condolences to everyone. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Maureen, thank you very much for that latest update that woman named yesterday Um, from from Balangiri. There was a man arrested, so the details of what happened we just leave the guards now to investigate that that's a matter for them but i mentioned that tragedy thank you Maureen, and the the tragedy yesterday in mill street and the one on friday when they opened the bypass the mccroom bypass or the first section of it and within hours of that happening there was a tragedy in the main street there in around the square councillor eileen lynch of finnegan local councillor for the general area it's been a very tragic few days eileen good morning Good morning. Um, it has indeed, I suppose. It's kind of unbelievable, really, what we've seen unfold um, between McCroom, Ballangary, most recently, Mill Street, yesterday evening. So, look, it's just a very tragic time. And I'd like to extend my sympathies to the families of all of those involved. Yeah. It's it's a part of the world where, even in a town like McCroom, everybody knows everybody. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very tight-knit community. So when a tragedy like this happens, it affects everyone. Absolutely. I mean, these are all very close communities and I suppose you have to remember that even the individual like the Balangary Village and McCroom Mill Street Town are all quite close together. So there's just a, you know, there's a strange air about the place. I suppose people are kind of in shock and people are very much reacting together to this. As I said, it is very close and I think any rural community for the most part is and the surrounding areas as well. You know, everyone is just very upset at this. Did, did you know Goblet or any, any any of the other victims? Um, I knew one of the victims, yes. Yeah. Um, I need to, to leave him in the room. But um, it's just, it's, as I said, it's, it's unbelievable. All right, okay. I had three in such a short period of time. Indeed, indeed. And, and, and just literally within days of one another. Thank you, Councillor Eileen Lynch of uh, Fine Gael McCroom Electoral Area Councillor. Just such a tragic few days for the region. Uh, I guess the only thing you can say is just go easy on the roads. Really. Um, Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. We got this one from Dave this morning. Uh, Dave is travelling by train, and he says every morning, waiting for the train. PJ, I'm met with the sound of people clearing their noses, one nostril at a time, then spitting. Uh, considering the pandemic we've just been through, 
It's disgusting that people have so little consideration for other passengers. It would be unfair to expect a bit of common decency, would it, when it comes to the most simplest of hygiene, as in catch it and bin it. You know, yeah, blow your nose into a tissue at least. Yeah, it's a disgusting habit. Spitting is a disgusting habit. Absolutely horrible habit. When I see fellas on a soccer pitch, for example, or a GA pitch, or a rugby pitch, spitting. If I was the referee, I'd give me a yellow card, but then that's me. Thanks, Dave. 0818-969696. We're playing all your favourite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's 96 FM. Merry Christmas. With your local mace. Great value deals for family and friends this Christmas. Cork's 96 FM. Just in for Becky on traffic this morning. Actually, the traffic seems to be moving reasonably okay most days. Although, what's Becky going to tell me? Hi, TJ. Um, just want to let you know that there's a two-car um, pit um, at the flip road as you come down from the South Ring Road onto the Kinsale Road roundabout. Thanks, Becky. Bit of a tip there. Be wary of that. But no, it just is it just me? Maybe it is. Uh, but maybe, I think, are, are things moving a little bit better than they were a couple of weeks back? I was in town on Saturday afternoon, was it Saturday? It was early Saturday afternoon. I was dropping my daughter into town and it was a criminal offence the length of time it took me to get along the quays and back out to Anglesey Street to get out the road for home. But I got in and out reasonably well. Just an update, speaking of roads, an update from my read. That man who was arrested following the tragic accident in Balangiri has been released without charge and a file will be prepared for the DPP. Thank you for that update, Moira. Just come in there in the last while. Yesterday I was talking about fuel and Kevin was on about the electric bill and how his prepay power meter is literally eating his money right now and it's getting more and more expensive to top up the meter and a few different ideas came in from a few different people. But uh, someone mentioned wood-burning stoves and how they really do keep the house nice and warm. And I happen to mention that my, my sister has one of these things and her kitchen does be like the seventh pit of hell sometimes. Actually, it gets so warm. They are very effective. But I got a note from Laura, who I don't think is too happy with me. She says, I was listening to the show and you mentioned wood-burning stoves. They're fantastic for the person that uses them, maybe, but not so much for their neighbours who are impacted by the smoke from the chimney. Maybe look at the awful air pollution that Cork deals with all winter due to people burning things. I think you had John Sadeau from UCC on your show last year talking about air quality many times. Might be a good idea to have him on again to make people aware of the emissions from wood burning. It impacts everyone, and particularly those with asthma, COPD and other lung-based conditions. The air quality measured over the past weekend was the worst ever recorded in Cork. There's Laura giving out, giving out to be a little bit for just mentioning that an air burning stove or wood burning stove rather keeps your house nice and warm. But I do take your point as well, Laura. They're not the cleanest way of heating your house. I see on the paper this morning the echo I'm reading here, Eamon Ryan saying that energy prices are unlikely to fall. God, have you any good news for us, Eamon? Well, he does. He says there's money aside in case they need to give us more credits in the new year. But he says energy prices are unlikely to fall. Now, given that they're falling on the wholesale markets, the price of gas is falling on the wholesale market. At least it was the last time I looked. I know these things change so quickly. The price of petrol at the pumps 
has gone down. It's its lowest since the middle of 2021, I think, at this stage. But Eamon Ryan, never, never the Minister for Good News, is he? 0818-96-96-96. Now, Sarah joins me. We're not going to mention where you work, Sarah, but you have you have a good job uh, with a well-respected company and you are caught up in the housing problem. And last week, if it wasn't for Katrina Toomey, you'd have been walking the streets. Morning. Hi, good morning, PJ. What hap- what's been happening to you, girl? Well, I, I moved home... Um, a few months ago, because um, where I was living in Europe, you know, I had the reverse to what's here. I had a house, but I had no job stability. And yeah. in Ireland, I have job stability and no house. Mm-hmm. And um, when I came home, I actually did a house swap with a friend of mine who was going abroad um, on a three-month contract, and she didn't want to lose the room. And little did I know how devastating the um the housing crisis really is. And I thought three months is plenty of time to find a place to live. But then I started my job and, you know, I'm I'm a manager and I work long hours and any time I got somewhere it was already gone yeah. or has happened to me with the recent, literally I was told we're putting names into a hat, you know, and we're putting names so into many people, a hat. Yeah, oh. it's a draw, literally a lottery. And um, I finished work, you know, you close the doors at six o'clock. I didn't get out until close to seven. And obviously I'm not bringing my woes to work with me. So um, at around seven o'clock even, um, I found a bed and breakfast that said, okay, you know, um, no breakfast in the morning, but I can do you a bed for 110 euros for the night. And I was like, pardon me, with all this conversation, no PJ bre- feels, no you know, where's, where's the social, social conscience even, yeah. you know, a woman ringing you saying, I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. Um, can you help me out? Because I'm actually in a hostel. I'm staying in a hostel. There was no room in the hostel for the night. So I've been here now for two weeks, and or over two weeks, two and a half, and it is astounding. Yeah. And literally, I, I don't know if people know this, I'm lucky that in the one hostel, if you, if you Google hostels in Cork, there's one, which is Sheila's, yeah. which remains like a YMCA hostel, you know, for there's international travellers here. It's not a long long stay it doesn't encourage long stay I feel safe here it's you know it's a good environment and thanks to to Liam for you know yeah. keeping his they're good we know them know, well they're good ethics. people just up the road from us yeah yes yeah yeah but um and I literally like I rang Katrina to me and I, I felt bad it was a Saturday evening you know and God bless her like in the beginning you know she, like she just said look I have a phone number I'm going to ring it and if he answers, we see what we can do for you. And, um, you know, she found me a bed for the night. Really? You know, and I'm talking to you, and don't get me wrong, like, some of my family know I'm not going around beating a drum, you know, but I am technically homeless. Yeah. You know, I'm in my 40s. I'm technically homeless. You know where I work. I have a good job, mm. a job I love. Yeah. But I hate, I'm coming home to a place where, you know, even now trying to find some place to talk to you, it's private, you know. Yeah. You don't have that in a hostel. You don't have your own space. And, and you know, family's very and the cost. Fa- family's the quite cost a distance of, from the city. That let's just say that. Yes. Yeah. 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 No. It and because it be practical even to, work to do it. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. But even like coming home and setting up again, um, you know, I this is this is another. I I don't have a car, and where I was living abroad, I couldn't renew my driver's license because I didn't have the uh, what's it called the social. You know, they 
the social, public service, social card. welfare card, the public service card. Which, to my understanding, is not even a legal document. You know, it's not legal requirement to have it. You can have it if you want to, yes, but I couldn't renew my license. So, uh, you know, I'm. I feel like I'm a teenager again. I haven't shared since I was in in university. You know, I'm like, and there's nothing there for me because I've been outside of the state for too long to to avail of any services. You have to be back here. You know, x amount of months. Um, but I don't need those services. I need. Some place to live. Yes, you know, like you said, and good job. The you scams can pay rent. that are online <laughs> is yeah. shocking. Yeah, tell me about you know? those. You came across. No, there are. We we discussed one here a few weeks ago, where a, yeah. a woman came from France to take up a college course, and she dropped something like sixteen hundred euro. Went yeah. to the door only to be told, "Oh God, you're the third this week." What yeah. Have, what have you been coming? I, I met I met a girl like even during the week from Kerry. And um, she's a student here and like that, she paid over, you know, her. she paid her rent and her deposit to a lad, went to the house. He gave her the keys, you know, showed her around. She went and she got her money, gave her the keys, only to turn out that this man had apparently um, broken into his aunt's house, copied the keys and scammed 10 people in the same day. 1,200 euros each. Hold on. So he had a set of keys to a house that obviously wasn't his. Yeah, he broke into his aunt's house. Okay, and then he added and rented to- out her house when she was away, and yeah, and was taking deposits. Yeah, and took ten. Ad- so then out- people go away and they get their stuff, and they come back only to find, oops, good god, you know. And, and how much and have online, you taken from them? online there as well? There's people who's been sending me messages going, "This is this is the apartment. Oh, I'm out of Ireland at the moment," um, you know, and. <laughs> Another woman um, messaged me this morning and uses an English name, but, you know, as an English speaker, you can tell that they're not native. You can tell the flaws in the text. Mm-hmm. And I'd say it's a copy and paste job, you know, with the replies being so rapid, but they're still long texted, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it's difficult. And like even speaking to Katrina yesterday, Katrina Toomey, like as a woman, you feel really vulnerable, Yeah, you know, like I'm not trying to say that other people aren't, but it's a devastating position to be in, you know, to go, where am I going to be safe more than anything? You know, and pretty much I'm sure I could knock on a door and maybe somebody would, you know, because even I know my family, even outside of the city, but I was just like, going, how am I going to get into work in the morning? You, you know, because Sunday buses, and I'm sorry now, I feel like I'm giving out about Ireland, but the transport system Sarah, is absolutely shocking. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're not, you're not giving out. You're here in a good job with a good company and you are staying in a hostel because there's nowhere else for you to go. You've had to reach out yeah. to Katrina Toomey and use her vast knowledge of what's there and what's not there, which is fantastic. Mm. You know, because she's amazing. She's, she's some woman she's for wonderful. one woman. Sarah, what are you going to mm. do for Christmas? Do you know something I said to my sister the other day? Um, like, if you were to drop a pebble into water and as the ripples go out, Christmas is the furthest one away from me. You know, I, I'm just trying to put out the fires that are closest to me yeah. at the moment. I know, but where are you the going to stay? Closes, like, you the hostel closes on the 22nd. Nice. Um, I know I'm working until the 24th. Um, 
after that, you know, I just even like obviously I'd like to go home to my family, maybe or maybe I've been talking about it for many years and maybe I give up my not give up my Christmas, but have a different Christmas and go out with penny dinners on Christmas Day and, you know, pay it forward, you know, do something like that. Or, like I can't even think that far ahead. PJ, I know, I'm, I know, and I know, I know. I, and there you go. Like that's like it's only 10 days and you're in a position where you can't think that far ahead now. Yeah. Yeah. But like even myself, like when, when Katrina rang me back on Saturday evening, I couldn't actually even talk to her. Like I just wept, you know, I I just, I know. I, sorry. It's, it's no, like, no, hey, don't. You know, it's it's an awful position to be in at this hour of my life. And I another thing that, you know, I did mention, and this makes me feel like a, a horrible human being, but... Other countries are coming, other nationalities are coming into into our country and getting all kinds of resources and our country isn't even looking after their own. No, that's not horrible. I mean, that's not horrible, Sarah. We, 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 we know that we know that we must take care of people running from a war. And yeah. we do, and rightly yeah. so. And we know we must take care of others coming from other parts of the world that need our help. And we do. Yeah. You're saying, where's yeah. my help? That's what you're asking. Where's my help? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then like and like to be honest with you, even that for me, you know, the last couple of years have been I know I I, I can only speak for my own situation and I don't apologize for that because I know everybody has been through it. But like where where I was, I had no state assistance either. I literally to use that expression to fall between two stools is is really yeah. it's being European where I was didn't matter. Yeah. You know, I, I had, I had, you know, I was locked in my apartment for, uh, for pretty much a year. We were allowed to go 200 meters from our homes. That was it, you know? And, um, and then I thought, you know, something, it's time to go home. Mm. You know, I, I gave it my best shot. I, you know, I, I made, I made the move because I just said, you know, you're not dead yet, you know. Mm-hmm. Learn a new language, try something different, and, um, and, then and that's the pan- what I did. And then the pandemic had different ideas. And then the pandemic hit. Like even before the pandemic, I'd leave. I'd leave my house at eight o'clock in the morning, come back at nine o'clock at night. You know, I work hard. You know, and um, and and the other case, like, but and even where I was, I had a beautiful little apartment. They called it a mini. So one bed. You know, um, you live. Um, kind of high um, rise, is it? No, I was actually in a first floor. Really? I even, it, sound, it, it sounds very posh. I had an elevator into my first floor, but that was more for things, you know. Um, I know, yeah. Um, you know, if you're yeah. even moving in and moving out, put your suitcase in and you're shopping or whatever. Um, and, you know, in those beds, you lift up storage underneath two walls of, um, two walls of wardrobe and bright and airy. And it was 500 euros a month with 50 euros for maintenance. Wow. Yeah. And I was in the city centre. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I do. Now, the other shoe, the shoe on the other foot, I suppose, maybe, um, you know, it's also the income would be different. But um, Ireland has gotten incredibly expensive. Like, well, I'd have to well, say well, I'm let's shocked. Make, let, let's make a comparison. And, and I know you're not, you're not saying where you were. We're, we're, we're obviously look, we're, we're protecting your, your identity as best as we possibly can, Sarah, and, and, and happy to do that. But where you were, you said, fine, the rent was only what it was. But, and the wages were, you know, it was kind of pro rata. But as a percentage 
of what one is able to earn where you were compared to a percentage of what you can earn here, I would imagine there's no comparison. Um, by what I earn here, you mean? Yeah. Like if uh, yeah, no. I, I earn yeah, I, I earn better here, but um but like yeah, comparatively speaking, um It's much higher. With it's it's it, yeah. Like the the cost of everything here, like something really silly, like for me, and it's a practical thing. Like I have to get the bus to work, you know, and I don't have my car, whatever. And if I get on the bus in Patrick Street and I have to go, we say, I don't know, I have to actually go on two bus, yeah. change buses. I that co- that costs me three euros eighty because I have to pay one ninety on the bus, each bus. Mm-hmm. Where I was, you paid two euros and you had an hour and a half, hop yeah. on, hop off as you like. Yeah. Like even small things like that help. They do. do you know what I mean? They do. It's it's not it's 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 very rarely the I don't mean obviously not having a house is a big thing, but um, the small things. And I think there's people we all know this. I'm not telling anybody something they don't know, but there's people out there taking massive advantage. Yes, you know, and like are. I said, like Liam and the gang here, at least there's a social conscience. Yes. About maintaining the standards of Sheila's, you know, for people who are genuinely travelling and like. I guarantee you, PJ, if I went through this hostel now, I'm not even sure how many people it takes a night. We say around 100. Um, I'd say 20 of them are, are are actually tourists. The rest are people who have jobs and who are looking for some place to stay. Yeah, there was someone else with you actually for a while. They just got a place yeah. recently. Is that right? Well, actually, she's she's um, she's staying with a friend of hers temporarily, okay. but she's still looking for some place long term. So, even you know, talking to a couple of the girls here, like even between us, you know, if we took an apartment or a house somewhere, you know, like again, she has a good job, and the two of us were sitting like we we shared a dorm for two weeks, and the two of us were just sitting there with tears in our eyes, going, "How is this possible? Yes. Like, how is this possible?" Yeah. And she said, like, when I was I was talking to her yesterday and she said, at least, Ella, do you know what? I, my friend is great to put me up. I have a bathroom to myself, you know, and it's the privacy. Even here as I'm talking to you, like two people have, I'm, I'm outside in the, in the smoking area. Like, you've no privacy, yeah. you know, you're worried about waking people if I have to go to work early in the morning or, you know, come in late at night, you know, it's not a home. It's not, no. you know, I no. don't have the keys to the place, do you know? No, 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 no. It's, it's difficult. Leah, or Kevin has just been on here say, look, well done. It takes guts to speak about your situation. It's not your fault. You're doing your bit. Yeah. yeah. It's not my fault, you know, but um, I, 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 look, we all know there is a housing crisis, but I don't know. Yeah. Who's going to do what for us? It's not down to Katrina Toomey you know, to to house everybody. Like, we have a government, we have a local government. You know, what's going on, people? Like, have I really been out at this stage so long that they've dropped the ball this badly? And knowing for donkey's years that it's been coming. That's you know, it's, I suppose that, that unnerves me a little bit, you know. Yeah. Okay, okay, listen, you look after putting, yourself. Putting, got... putting, out, putting out fires, PJ, when, yeah. when they, they knew it was smouldering. Very true. But anyway. Have you worked today? I'm off today, okay. so I'm going to do a little bit of Christmas shopping and try and feel festive and put the sunny side out. Okay. Even at work, I've been wearing my, my Christmas earrings, you know. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying not to bring my, my Bah Humbug hat with me. But <laughs> all right, all 
Okay. Well, anyway. Well, you're keeping the sunny. Right. You're keeping the sunny side up as best you can. Ah, oh, sure, I do, and I have great crack at work as well. Like you know, I wish you like, well. I, I, you, you know, you know where I work, and I, I, I love it. I love my job, and the one thing that I said when I came home, I knew myself after you know. Um, working from home and Zoom and all that, I said, no, that's not me. I need people. I want to, you know, mm. interact with people. It's it's what I know. It's what I yeah. grew up well, with. Well, I met, I met, I mean, let people know here, I, I, I met you at work and you're damn good at what you do. Yes. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. All right. But uh, I try my best. Keep in touch with Katrina. She won't see you wrong. She won't. She genuinely won't. Oh. She's, she's, uh, she's one in a million. <laughs> Really and truly, um, I only heard of her name last week and the fact that she even answered the phone and how many, I'm one of how many that that woman has answered the phone to. All I right. just can't even imagine. Right. So PJ, I thank you for your time no. and I wish you a happy Christmas. And, and you and mind yourself. And if there's anything we can do, I, you know who we are. I know, you're, you're so good. All and right. if anybody out there, I know for myself, I have a room, if I can bring people with me because I know I know enough you know because if there's a house or an apartment you know we're ready willing and able Come so here. that would be great I have something in front of me here um, I have an opportunity between now and Christmas um, how would you fancy a voucher for Super Value to get some Christmas shopping in I know you have a good job and all that but just to <laughs> Do you know something that would be fabulous? Okay, well, you it's got better it. than a lump of coal. I have one. I have one or two a day to give you. So stay, oh, stay so on the sweet. line, and I'll get the lads set up for you. All right. Oh, thank you, PJ. I appreciate it. Not at all, Sarah. Take care. Thank you very much. And yes, she does have a good job and a good company, but she's in a rough spot. So that's I, I, I want to give her that, that. I met her at work the other day. We were chatting while I was buying something, and um, that's the story. Good job. Good wage woman in her 40s. Home is too far away to commute. Just needs a place she can afford the rent, she can afford deposits, she can do all those things. But she's living up in a hostel which will close, as it's perfectly entitled to, on the 22nd of December. What's she going to do for Christmas? She's working up to closing time Christmas Eve and probably back in Stevens is there the day after because that's retail. What's she going to do? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. The Improv Panto is back and now on at Cork Opera House. It's probably definitely the greatest show that ever graced the Opera House stage. Ever. Oh, it was brilliant. It's so good. I'd go every night if I could. <laughs> uh, Laura, aren't you in the show? That's just you putting on gammy accents, like. Yeah, but, like, it's also true, like. <laughs> yes, she's biased. However, we can confirm that thousands of you love the improvised panto each year and are thrilled it's back. Not for smallies, this laugh-out-loud show is made up on the spot. Don't miss the hilarious Improv Panto this December. Tickets from CorkOperaHouse.ie The Improv Panto with Cork's 96FM. I was asking about traffic. Is it just me or is it getting that little bit easier? People have had terrible confusion about the tunnel when they changed the layout of it and regular drivers were saying just Watch the signs. Just watch the signs. If you're doing the right thing with the signs, you'll be grand. It seems to be, at least, working out. Tom? I go to tunnel three times a day, and it's gone dead easy. It's fantastic. The best thing now. It used to give me a heart attack before, but now it's it's fantastic. Good man, Tom. Thanks. Uh, He drives for a living. 0818969696. On post, I I told, told you, ignore those text messages for the most place uh, if they come with a link in them completely ignore them uh, 
Dina says, Dina, I just let other people know I got a letter through on post last year. It looked very formal. 350 We paid it in the post office, realised afterwards it was a scam. What? So you went to the post office and you paid them and you only realised then it was a scam. That's a weird one. On post, we'll send you a text message when you owe customs fees, but you have to go to the post office or log on to their website to pay. What they won't do is include a link. Those messages are a scam. Thanks, that's a good clarification, actually. Uh, they, they will direct you to go to a post office or to log on to their website and to put in your transaction. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's true. Uh, my, my wife got a text from Unpost Customs looking for money, which yesterday morning she was in hospital for a procedure. Yesterday evening she got a text from a number, only two digits different, looking for money, and she could pay by going to a link. Now she'd all her money paid to the hospital. The frightening thing is, how did she know? How did they know she was at the hospital? The text started with, dear patient. Oh, oh, that's interesting, Seamus O'Driscoll. Thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. It's on the front page of the, the Echo, that scam. Um, and someone was caught for several hundred euro. This text comes into your phone saying you bought something from the UK and you owe some customs money on it. Click on the link. Don't click on the link. Vix popped in from the newsroom. You know someone got stung with one of these unpost things. I do, yeah. Um, can I just say, actually, even before I tell this story, the problem with the scams nowadays is they're so convincing. Yes. And it's just the tiny little things that you have to look out for. And I think the main thing is just don't click on a link. Yes. Uh, somebody that I know also received the on-post text and it basically just said, your parcel is waiting for delivery, import fee due. Please confirm the settlement of €1.90 on the following link. And the link is paypost-customfee.com. She clicked on the link and they cleared her out of around €2,000. What? Yeah. Whoa. You know, and there's no shame, by the way, in, you know, as I said, they can be so convincing. And this she was point. waiting for a parcel coming from the UK. This is, and people say, oh, I was such a fool. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. First That's and what foremost, they do. no. You know, I mean, I've deleted two or three of them in the past yeah. month. A, because I didn't buy anything from the UK. But recently I did order something from the UK. Yeah. I was waiting for it. They sent me a card. Telling me there was customs due. Yeah, you so see. So that's how I knew. Yeah. That's how I knew. Vic, yeah. thank you for that. I know you've no got news to prepare. Talk to you at 10. Cheers for that. Two grand. Don't click the damn link. Don't click the link. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, Dave Gibbons was on with me yesterday. Our plumber friend about your boiler and getting the most out of your heating system and trying to avoid it freezing on what are going to be another couple of very cold nights. I forgot to mention yesterday, he says, people will go home or go away for Christmas. It would be a good idea to turn off the water supply to avoid any flooding. He mentioned yesterday how you do that, particularly if you have one of these famous water meters. Go out with a screwdriver and pop up the cap and there's a little valve. Just turn it off. Just one quarter turn. That'll turn the water supply off to the house. So at least if you do spring a leak while you're away, all that will leak out it's what's already in the system. So thanks for that, Dave. Uh, yeah, lots of people listening to Sarah, Johnny. Very sorry for that girl. It's so heartbreaking. A <laughs> response to Laura. Laura wrote to me about the wood-burning stoves. Did you see that? <laughs> um, yesterday. And she said, OK, they might be grand for the person using them. And they might be lovely and warm in their house. 
but you're poisoning half the neighbourhood. That's what effectively Laura was saying. So please don't be telling people to get wood-burning stoves. To which Justin came back and says, tell Laura, just because she can afford to retrofit doesn't mean we all can. I'm a welder. I inhale fumes every day. Does anyone care about my flipping health? You can say change career. But people like me make the world go around. Enough about this fossil fuel stuff. Most of us have no other choice. And we can't afford to retrofit. Justin, don't even go there. Retrofitting? Am I going to go into debt to retrofit my house? Not. Not in a fit. Valerie, morning. I would like to say about your mother's house, was it? Uh, good morning, PJ. Hi. You were in your mum's house? Um, no, it was, I was just making a comparison there. I was thinking the other day, my mum, her heating, she, she kind of saves the heating, you know, the elderly. Yeah. Because uh, of, you know, the cost of living today. Of course. And it hit me, I was thinking, I heard Catherine Toomer on your programme. Yeah. Oh my God, what a wonderful lady she yeah. is. Oh my God, she's a saint. And... And yourself with your team, you know, the way you broadcast all these issues and for to help people. But I was just thinking of the homeless and at night time in this freezing cold and it really touched me, you know. Mm. And it was my daughter actually, um, it came the idea came to me because she bought two um I think they're called um dry robes. Oh yeah. It's when the kids come out of swimming yeah. and you put these robes down when they're going home in the car. Yeah. And I was thinking of them. Now they are quite expensive. Mm. But I was saying if there was so many people who could donate some of these coats to the homeless and that are sleeping in doorways mm. and I said, I'm going to buy one myself and I'm going to donate it. So I got on to catch them to me and I told her and she said it was a great idea. Mm. So this morning, first thing I went down to I was, I asked, could I mention them? And they said they could super value okay. in Glenmore. Okay. And they gave me 50 euros straight away because that's the price of them. And I'm, after your show now, I'm going to go up and I'm going to get another course and meet Catherine and see could she... Um, Fantastic. Fantastic. I just thought it was a great idea, PJ. Yeah. Um, if there was more people, might... Now, I, I don't have the money myself, PJ. But I I, it, it touched me so much. I'm on disability. I said, God damn it. If I could just get 50 or together, if I could do it, could the businesses do it? Yeah. So I know one or two more people in a couple of businesses and I'm going to go there today and I'm going to see, can I get a couple of those coats yeah. sent in to Catherine and she could hand them out tonight, maybe, or something. Yeah, because you know? unfortunately, you, there will be people who just can't get in off the street or for reasons best known to themselves won't they come can't. in. They, they can't. can't they I won't come in. What yeah. got to me was when Catherine said about, like, they're checking in on them to see how they did. That's right. Isn't that very sad, PJ? That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, re- it really is very sad that our country's like this and our homeless and, you know, they haven't got roofs. It kind of touched me because I could have been in that predicament myself at one stage yes. and it frightened the life out of me that I could have lost my home. Yes. You know, at the time, you would be so... It is very upsetting. But thank God I got through this. Good. And I'm just thinking of people out there in doorways. It's so, so sad. It is. And it I is. just think if companies or small businesses, any kind of business could come together and buy a couple of these coats to hand out, give them to Catherine, you know, hand them out. Valerie, you're a kind and decent woman. Thank you very much. She's been buying...
dry rubs and give them into Katrina to me in ones or twos and Katrina will give them out to anybody because they are damn warm I mean you put them on after coming out of the freezing cold sea so what must they be like if you're dressed in whatever you have on you you'll be roasting in them you'll be grand and toasty and woolly hats and gloves and anything else but there's a nice there's a nice idea maybe a dry, a dry robe or something like it and pass it into penny dinner so they can give it out to the people that unfortunately can't get a place to stay for the night thanks Valerie <laughs> The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 966 966. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie very welcome so if you want to buy one and donate it to Penny Dinners feel free to do that there was a a thing going on during the year I remember Wayne pointing it out to me one morning that down there near um, near where they're doing the new Premier Inn down there on the on the key on on the key there uh, was it Falamachu Key that Falamachu Key by the Old Moors Hotel someone had put up some clothes hangers and had put up jackets and put up jumpers and the message was if you want a jacket take a jacket if you want a jumper take a jumper I don't know if that's still there very kind thing to do but uh, thanks for that Val those dry robes very useful at the moment very warm very cosy uh, do you know what's very warm and cosy and they're everywhere now I remember a few years ago you had to buy them online they're everywhere now them oody things you know they're like this huge hoodie Darren's got one in the production department. It looks like he looks like he's brought his duvet to work. Huge things, and they're very warm too. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. The number. The text to WhatsApp is oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Your email is opinion at ninety six fm dot ie. Voice messages welcome, of course, at the WhatsApp number. Pat was on asking: Are people getting text messages from the HSE asking for them to buy COVID test kit kits? I've got a number of them. Yes, they are, and they are scams. The HSE is not texting people, telling them to buy COVID te- test kits. If you are a COVID case or you're suspected COVID, they'll send you tests for free. So don't click on any link in any such text. Look, nobody kosher will tell you to click on a link to pay for anything. And that's the best way to treat it. Nobody kosher will send you a text with a link on it and say, click this and pay me. Simple as that. So treat anything that does land like that as a racket and you won't be, you won't be wrong. 0818 96 96 96. Let's focus for a little bit, if we can, on mental health at Christmas. Because, look, as I say, me and Queen Bee and everybody in my house, we love Christmas with the with the excitement of small children, even at our age. Um, but for some people, it's a very tough time where, you know, memories surface and, and things that happen to you surface and stuff that you struggle with throughout the year can surface. And it can surface on Christmas morning. It can surface during the Christmas dinner. It can surface at any time. And because you're surrounded by people who are whooping it up and loving life, as they're entitled to do, you can feel very lonely you go off away into your own corner and you end up having a, a mental health episode 
to, to use that expression, if we may. A new book called Lonely Boy was published at the end of November by Dara Fleming. Dara's been on the show with me a couple of times now. And this book, you've been working on it, Dara, for a number of years. First of all, congratulations on, on getting it out there. It's very much your own musings about the, 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 the potholes, as it were, on the road to mental health. Good morning. Hey, good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on again. Um, yeah, exactly. As you said, like it, I started writing Lonely Boy um, at the start of 2020, like just before the pandemic took over. Um, so lockdowns became a, like writing in lockdown became a, a very good mental health um, exercise for me, and it always has been. And I suppose what's interesting about Lonely Boy is it didn't start out as a book. It started out as uh, a means to try and improve the relationship I had with myself because for a long time the relationship I had with myself was quite poor and it was affecting my mental health and it was affecting my relationships and just my life satisfaction in general. So that's what the book started as and then it got bigger and it got longer and then I realised, okay, I had something here and I started uh, formatting it into different essays about different aspects of mental health mm. and that's what Lonely Boy became in the end. Yeah. Now, you were going along just fine as a young man and then your best mate, Erby, who <clears throat> I, I, I didn't know Erby, but his mom, Karen, of course, earned Underwood as a dear friend. Erby <clears throat> took his own life. And that turned your life around on a dime overnight. Yeah. Talk yeah, about that like, for me, Dara. Yeah, like, so, I mean, we're coming up now on 11 years, which is, you know, it's, it's wild to think that alone, but... Um, yeah, so I like I never knew he was going through anything because we're in an era where you know talking about your mental health, especially as a man, wasn't really you know encouraged. And I think for that reason, he felt like he had to go through it on his own. And that's quite a common thing with depression and other mental health issues is that you feel isolated and you feel alone. And I think for him, that got so severe that he there was only one way out for him, unfortunately. And I think you know if. I, I always like to think if he was alive now and he was going through what he was going through then now that he would feel comfortable to talk and that does give me a bit of a bit of hope. Um but for me, yeah, like I you know, the grieving process started um and that went on for a long time, which I was to be expected, you know, because it was quite a traumatic death, but the grief morphed into depression, but I didn't know about it because I didn't have an education in, in mental health and we weren't we weren't really talking about the signs to look out for in depression. And because I didn't have an education, I always thought depression meant you were sad all the time. And yeah. I, I wasn't sad all the time. But what depression actually is and what it was for me is that I couldn't really feel anything at all. So I wasn't sad, but I wasn't happy. I wasn't angry. I wasn't excited. I was just numb to the world. Indifferent, maybe? Yeah, ind- indifferent, apathetic. Like nothing, <clears throat> nothing resonated with me. Nothing really brought any sense of like, joy in life i was just very much going through the motions existing rather than living and uh but because i couldn't feel anything it didn't really strike me as a problem and i think that's the big issue it was only when i came out of it that i was like i was for three or four years there i wasn't feeling anything i wasn't really living and that that's quite scary to think about now that that was happening to me and i didn't really have any understanding of it and looking back on it now is that what gives the book its title? Is that a lonely place, Tara? Yeah, exactly. Like it is very lonely, especially like because you know when you're in early twenties, mid twenties, you know you're you're obviously 
hoping and looking for a romantic relationship and because I couldn't express emotion I couldn't really reciprocate emotion in relationships which meant that relationships failed quite often and that put me in a place where although I wanted it to be intertwined with someone have some in my life I couldn't make it work um, so there was a juxtap- juxtaposition of wanting someone in my life but not being able to have someone and that was extremely lonely and it, and it meant that like every moment I spent on my own was scary and sad and just felt very isolated and that went on for quite a long time until I you know eventually sought help your 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 gift as a writer Dara is that it's like sitting across two pints listening to you <laughs> talk and that's your gift as a writer I can hear your voice I can almost see your facial expressions. So in the book, you explore getting to the place you were in and coming back from it to where you... Like, how are you now? I'm brilliant now. Like, I think, you know, and I've said this multiple times, writing Lonely Boy was, was so, so therapeutic. And even if it had never been published, it was worth doing because I think what it led me to do was learn about myself and learn about what my needs are and what I need to work on because I think... You know, we live in this era now, especially with social media, that we we only focus on the positive elements of our life and we kind of polish ourselves and put ourselves out there. But we all have flaws and we all have things we can work on and we all have things we've regretted. And it was those things that I'd ignored for so long that I needed to look at and be like, okay, I have a role to play in my mental health and I do have to take responsibility for that role. But for a long time, I wasn't because it was hard to look at that. It was hard to look at the fact that I was emotionally unavailable, but I wasn't doing anything to to come out of that, or you know, I was behaving poorly. And I, you know, because we don't we don't like looking at it, that part of ourselves. It's not easy, but it is really really important. And Lonely Boy led me to do that. Mm. And now I just know myself, the good and the bad parts, and I got to a place where I can accept those those mm. parts. You, you, and you don't hold really, back, by the way. You 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 hide nothing in this book. Yeah, and that that was intentional, and you know there was conversations with editors to cut some of the you know the more monstrous parts out. But I think you know writing like this, especially a book like this, it's really important to be honest because if you take out the parts where you're not reflecting in a very positive way, then it just becomes a kind of like you know a vanity project, and it becomes it's just not the truth. And I think what's important in a mental health journey is to realize. The good and the bad parts are all par- part of it and they're all important and you need to acknowledge them. So that's why I wanted to put those parts in the book because even all the parts that I, I'm not proud of have gotten me to where I am today and today I'm in a very good place and I think I'm in a far more emotionally available place and my mental health's very good today, thankfully. Let me talk a little bit then about, about Christmas, Dara. And I mentioned before you came on that it's the kind of time when everyone's happy and enjoying themselves, but... Mm-hmm. It can rear its head, you know, at the Christmas dinner, you start thinking, we'll say, you might start thinking of Irby, and you mm-hmm. need, you, you, it can become that lonely place again. So for people facing into Christmas who are worried about that moment, that panic attack, that, that couple, that, like, what, what advice would you give them? Um, yeah, like, I, you know, we all face Christmas differently and for some it's positive, as you said, but for some it is negative. And I think, you know, what's important to have in your in your toolkit is things you know help your mental health. So for me, I have like a mental health routine and it's just a list of activities or things I can do that I know positively impact my mental health. And these are things we do throughout the year, but that doesn't change at Christmas. So like for me, exercise is very important, getting enough sleep, 
um, being able to rest, meditating, whatever it is for you, I think it's important to have those in place. Like just because it's Christmas doesn't mean you can't do those things. Yes. So even like Christmas morning, okay, the, the gym might be closed, but you can go for a walk, you can go for a run, you can, you know, do a home workout. And it's just whatever works for your mental health, I think you need to continue over Christmas because I think often enough because it's downtime, we tend to stop doing those things but they're very very important and you know mental health doesn't take a day off yes so you do need to it's a it's a it's a constant effort day on day on so i think just over christmas having those things in place and ma- making sure you're doing them is really key yeah um there's a thing like and then the suppose, expression my sorry, happy yeah. place like whatever takes mm. you to your happy place do it yeah, and it's different for everyone. Like, as in, I love writing and I love reading, but for someone else, that could be torture. Like, so maybe that isn't your mental health routine, but it is mine. And it's just finding those things. And then I think the other aspect of it, and this is very common for Irish people, is that when we feel bad, we then beat ourselves up about it because, like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling bad now. It's Christmas. But, like, allow yourself to feel the emotion as well because that's the, the most effective way to process it. So if you are feeling anxious, you are feeling sad or overwhelmed, just allow yourself to feel that way because it will pass. Like the emotions are a, a chemical reaction, and that means n- no emotion can last forever. Like no one can be happy twenty four seven, no one can be sad twenty four seven. So if you are feeling an emotion, just allow it to pass to to work through, and it will pass eventually. How important is talking to someone if it's getting a bit heavy? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's um, it's like it, it is kind of a cliched in ways but it is really important and what I've found over the years from talking about my own mental health is it do, it does two things so it allows you to get whatever's bothering you off your chest and that is an immediate you know weight lifted but what it also does and what's important for like the more general conversation is that if you talk about what you're going through it lets the person you're talking to know that they can also talk about what they're going through and then if they talk about what they're going through there's other people who hear them and it becomes a ripple effect yeah. and all of a sudden we have hundreds, thousands of people who know it's okay to talk about what they're going through. And I think that's the most powerful thing talking about your own mental health struggles uh, can do. It, it helps you, but it also massively helps others. Okay. Well, that this book of yours will help others in a similar way. Book Hub Publishing, is it in shops or is it online? Uh, yeah, it's in shops. So currently, uh, Waterstones, Vibes and Scribes have it, Middleton Books, it's in Limerick, Galway, Dublin. It's, yeah, it's very easily available. So wherever you like to get books, it should be there. All right, Dara, congratulations on it. I know you put an awful lot of work and an awful lot of hard thought into it. And uh, good, good man, good man. Have a good Christmas yourself and everybody that you know. Thank you very much. Dara Fleming, 0818 96 96 96. We're playing all your favourite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's 96 FM. Christmas! Christmas! With your local maze, making your Christmas extra special with festive offers. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. If we gave you 10,000 euro for Christmas, how would you spend it? Details on how you can win coming up. And free tickets to next summer's live at the Marquee up for grabs as well. I'll see you from 12 on Cork's 96 FM. They would mental health and meditation and mindfulness and all that for just a little while longer because comedian and broadcaster Dermot Whelan is touring his show Mindful and he's bringing it to Cork 
in March of next year. Now, as well as being a, a comic and a broadcaster, he's a qualified meditation teacher. And that's what the show is about. Mindfulness, meditation, and just finding your your happy place. Dermot, you did write most of this show during during lockdown and you trailed it after lockdown. Now you're going to bring it on tour. It's a serious subject for a comic show. Morning. Yeah, good morning, PJ. Um, I guess it can be seen that way, but actually, you know, it's a brilliant thing that you said because this is very much the reason why I'm doing this live show and it's the reason I wrote my book, Mindful. Um, Because I think the whole area of meditation, of mental wellness, of well-being gets it takes itself far too seriously a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think that it's that seriousness that can put a lot of people off, in particular us blokes who are maybe slower to gravitate towards things that are actually good for our minds, maybe um, than our female counterparts. So, um, you know, my my goal with this show is to make real life changing, scientifically proven techniques accessible to people without them having to suddenly yeah. grow a man bun and start wearing um, you know yoga pants and covering themselves in hummus every morning and saying namaste to the bus driver yeah. you know oh, we, we don't have to buy into that whole thing eating fresh grass from the ground at sunrise <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, organic grass, of course. Of course. Uh, you know? of course. <laughs> but there is, and you're right, there's a massive wellness industry and mindfulness industry out there. And as a day goes by, I don't get a press release from some other guru who has discovered a new way to live to be 90 and be happy about it. <laughs> it and it's all that rolled into what? A couple of hours? Yeah, so it's a mixture. It blends my two loves, and that's stand-up comedy and taking the mick and meditation and something that I've been practicing, the meditation part, um, for well over a decade. And it is genuinely something that changed my life and changed my outlook on life and helped me to sleep better and Mm. helped me not to overreact in situations and helped me to appreciate the things that I have and the people that I have around me in my life. But, you know, again, a lot of the time, you know, when I started to get into meditation and I wanted to learn more, all the books I found on it and all the the gurus, as you mentioned, were either like super spiritual or really academic um, are really serious. And I was like, well, why is no one presenting this stuff in just a fun way? Because yeah. we all learn better when we're having fun. You know, if you're sitting in a room with a few hundred people laughing your head off, you're far more open to trying out something new that's going to help you than if you're sitting in a, you know, a, a sweaty lecture hall somewhere thinking, I wish I could get out of here. I'm, you know, I want to go to the pub. So um, that's what I try and do. I blend comedy yeah. and meditation and um, and teach people really simple, usable techniques for de-stressing. What is meditation then? Put you on the spot. Do you know what, PJ? That is a brilliant question because I find that meditation and mindfulness are two words that are spoken about the whole time. But, and we're kind of, it, people assume that we're, we're, we're meant to know exactly what they mean, but they, they're confusing. And what's the difference between mindfulness and meditation? So let's start with mindfulness, all right? Mm. Mindfulness is, is anything that brings you into the present moment, okay? And all the present moment means is you're not in the past worrying about the stuff that happened to you and you're not in the future worrying about the stuff that might happen to you. Mm -hmm. You're in that present moment. And the more time, science tells us, that we spend in that space, the happier we will be and the less anxious and we'll feel and the better we'll sleep. But it's the two things on the either side of the now that make it almost impossible to stay in the now. 
Exactly. And, you know, we're not expected to be in the now all the time. And anyone who says they're walking around in the present moment all day is telling you fibs um, because, you know, it's the way our mind works. Our brain likes to bounce around the place and that's what it's designed to do. Um, we don't, but you know, the, the more things that we can learn that bring us into the present moment, the happier we'll be. Even if you have five or ten fleeting moments in a day of being in that present moment and not being in the past and not being in the future, the happier and better you'll yeah. feel. Now, it can be, you know, meditation is is a form of mindfulness. It's something that will bring you into that present moment. But you know what? If you're not ready for meditation, you know, then, you know, it could be playing with your puppy. It could be playing a musical instrument. It could be having a chat with an old friend. It could be playing golf. Mm. It could be, um, you know, playing five-a-side with your mates. What, whatever it happens to be, and anything that gets you into that present moment where your, your mind isn't wandering all right. around the place, that, that's mindfulness. So, so meditation you, you, is a tool that we can use. You don't have to sit on a mat in ill-fitting yoga pants in a fella that's probably got a pound <laughs> or more than he should and go home y you don't have to do that to, to be in the present moment everybody has their own thing for me it's golf you know yeah. outside of meditation golf is the thing that that for some reason whatever whatever it is maybe it's four hours without my phone maybe it's the company maybe it's nature maybe it's all those things those are the things that you know I just know I feel better after it you know mm -hmm. and you know, I, I, I don't believe that, as you say, you know, you have to sit in the lotus position on the yoga mat saying, Om. if you want to, then great. And there's a lot of Eastern traditions that definitely have those aspects. But, you know, what annoys me is that when someone gets curious, they Google meditation and all the images that come back are of, you know, really beautiful people in really exotic locations, um, you know, sitting there in that classic meditation pose. And it's just not realistic. I mean, they're always halfway up a mountain. Um, yeah. I, I don't know about you, PJ, but, you know, when I want to de-stress, you know, and feel a bit of calm, the last thing I want to do is climb up 1,500 feet and crawl out onto a crumbling rock face and shut my eyes. Mm. <laughs> you know, no. that's not relaxation. But, you know, I'd much rather jump onto my, you know, my Harvey Norman couch or, or in the front seat in my car or um, sitting up in the bed or whatever it happened wherever I happen to be because that's that's real knowledge and, and that's that's real power when we know our minds are full I and mean, they're feeling very busy and fizzy um, or maybe you've got a stressful thing happening in your life that your your mind is constantly jumping into the future mm. or maybe you did you know something happened to you Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Where it's constantly jumping in the past. How great would it be to have some mental tools in your toolbox that 
you know, whether you're at a traffic light or sitting at home or sitting in a park or mm. lying in bed that you can just reach for. And you can do a 16 second technique that I that I teach. Um, you know, maybe you could learn a, a, a very simple belly breathing technique. These are all things that are just designed to turn off our stress response for a few moments yeah. so that we can get out of emergency mode and come into ourselves and find that little bit of peace and calm. Are you telling me that there's a belly breathing lesson in the Opera House in March? Listen, that's what I, I take people through these things and they do it with a smile on their face. Sure and what it is, it's it's a remarkable thing. And I've never been so proud of something of, of something that I've put together than the Mindful Live show, because one minute everybody is laughing their heads off. Yeah. And then, you know, the next minute they've got their eyes closed, they're calm and they're smiling for a different reason because they're tapping into that thing that we all have inside us that's just lurking under the surface but sometimes our minds are just too full to get at it so it's a really unique experience and I just love it because people come out of there buzzing yeah. and most importantly they walk away from it with techniques that they can use themselves share with mm. their kids share with their loved ones and they know the next time the stressful event comes maybe the in-law that you didn't expect turns up on your doorstep at Christmas <laughs> and you're thinking it's okay your man, <laughs> uh, that comedian told me a technique I can do when I disappear into the bathroom for five minutes and just do one of these techniques. I'm going to come oh, you back mean out. The silent scream at the skylight, <laughs> which, which, which we've all done. Yeah. But I'm thinking, you know, they t they've been telling us since I was a boy and long before that mm. laughter is a form of relaxation. Now, here you are. A man who should know the answer to that question, is laughter a form of mindfulness in itself? Well, I guess it is. If you go back to our earlier definition, you know, mindfulness is anything that, that brings us into the present moment. It's very hard to be anxious if you're having a belly laugh. Yes. You know, think about any time you sat down with a good mate. You know those mates, we all have one, that just make you laugh. Yes. It's, you know... How can you feel anxious in that moment? You you may have felt anxious before and you may feel anxious after, but in that moment of laughter, that is a really special moment. And I guess that's why as humans, you know, we gravitate towards situations where we know we can laugh. It's why, you know, comedians are still in business. We, we all have that friend who you can bring a problem to and having listened, they will then mercilessly take the mickey out of you until you were rolling around laughing. <laughs> yeah, and I guess, you know, that's a wonderful gift. Anyone who can um, help us not to take ourselves so seriously, mm. um, you know, for even a couple of moments. It doesn't mean the problems you're dealing with aren't serious. But if we can stop taking ourselves so seriously for a few moments, then, you know, the, the light gets in and uh, we can give ourselves that that nice opportunity to laugh and, and find that present moment. You developed and wrote all this during COVID, during lockdown, when fellas like you were out of a job for months on end, Dermot. So did lockdown teach us anything about being in the moment? And are we at risk of forgetting what we learned now that life is back to something close to normal? Um, I think it did. It did teach us, you know, and I think everybody, you know, was talking about, isn't it great just to be switching off and, um, you know, taking things a little bit slower. And because we were forced literally to, you know, just walk around our own block, we appreciated our environment a little bit more and the people we spent it with, or maybe went the other way if you were trapped with someone you found a bit challenging. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, 
it's surprising to me how quickly we drifted back mm. into the frantic nature of life. And I think if you ask a lot of people, I, I'd say a lot of your listeners right now are thinking, Do you know what, I think it's busier now than it was before COVID. It's as if once we got back out there, it was go, 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 yeah. you know, and it's like that, that Nike slogan, just do it. It's like it's, it's being shouted from the rooftops, this yeah. um, constant demand on our time and energy and striving and just get it done and just send another email. Yeah. And whether you're we're hybrid working or working from home or back in the office or if you're self-employed or out in a van, whatever it is, it just feels very, very busy at the moment, you know, and you know, I guess the point of the techniques that I try and teach is that, you know, the, the world, I think, is always going to be a really busy place. Mm. It's it's the small moments that we can drop into that busy day that will give us a sense of control because, you know, our minds feel most full when we feel like we've lost that sense of control, that there's just stuff mm. coming at us and we're not able to handle it and we feel like our head's just going to fall off our shoulders. Yeah. So, you know, having a couple of techniques you know, that you learned with a laugh on your face that you can introduce into your life at whatever particular moment you feel like you you get the most benefit. So maybe mm. it's first thing in the morning. Maybe it's first thing before you go, you know, last thing before you go to sleep. Yeah. Maybe it's a, a, a quiet moment in the car. Maybe it's when the kids have all just gone off to school and you can finally breathe out and you're sitting at the kitchen table and you go, do you know what? I'm going to do that little 16 second take. I'm going to relax my nervous system mm. and just a bit so that I can spend more time with a smile on my face in the present moment um, than in the future worrying about stuff that might happen. Do you know something that, uh, this is a, I'm sharing something personal with you here now, during the lockdown itself, when we were working here all mm. the time and in and out and but just bombarded with COVID, 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 I developed what I call my five minutes for me. And it could be any mm. time of the day or night. And particularly in summertime, just sit out in the garden with a coffee. Five minutes for me. And it, it saved me sanity. But isn't it strange, PJ, how, you know, taking five minutes for yourself seems to be this, you know, a, a thing that that suddenly becomes something that we have to sort of, you know, becomes a big deal yeah. almost. And it's it's crazy how how that has come about. And I'm you're not any different. I'm exactly the same. And even though I teach this stuff, I have to fight tooth and nail for these, you know, moments for me, uh, as you say. You know, it, I, I remember one day looking at my diary and I'm an analog, uh, you know, type of person. I like my vinyl and those kinds of things. Mm. So I have a paper diary. And I was flicking through it one day and I realized something up here and I realized I know what it is all of the things I've written in here are for other people they're yeah. all for work or for other people so I was like that's it no more so at least one page in the diary a week is going to have something in there for me now as you say that could be you know sitting out in the garden uh, it could be in the summertime lying on your back on the grass you know just looking at the mm. sky for a while it could be going for a walk it could be simply ring fencing your diary so that there's nothing in there except for you that you're not giving away your time mm. and your energy to other people if we got any joy from covid we got that joy and we should not let it slip away you're here in march Dermot, tickets on sale 
Uh, yes, I'm. I'm going to be uh, in the wonderful Opera House, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, it's. I just absolutely love coming to Cork. I, it's a really, really special city. I always try and make extra time when I get down there so that I can have a proper mooch around. Uh, maybe drift into the high B um, if I'm let, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Um, yeah, just soak up the city as much as I can. I can imagine if I let you inside in the high B, you're running the risk of being barred just by standing in the doorway. <laughs> yeah. and that's yeah, a they run compliment a, they run a tight ship in there but that's why it's so special will you do me a favour will you pop in in March when you're down and we'll chat more about this Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to, PJ. And I, I want to wish all your listeners a very, very happy Christmas and uh, lots of mini moments in the present moment. Cheers, Dermot. Thank you very much. Thanks, PJ. Cheers, man. That's Dermot Whelan. We'll get him in for I must do this belly breathing thing with him when he's, when he's down in March. March 22nd at the Opera House tickets now on sale. 0818969696. You mentioned the, the high B. I passed it last night. I was in town last night. I was meeting someone for a, a pint in the Long Valley, as you do at this time of the year. And I walked in past the high B and I had a smile on my face because it's there. The sign is there. No phones. They're still, they've never changed. And don't ever change. Hi, B people. 0818 96 96 96. Paula says, hi, PJ. I was just listening to you regarding HSE COVID tests being sent out to households if family members have COVID. I just rang them and they're not sending out tests anymore. You just isolate it for seven days. And that's it. Thanks, Paula. Now, it does still say on the website... Uh, but then that's from a couple of weeks back. And as we know, during COVID, let's not revisit it, but as we, as we know, during things changed faster than the website did. But thank you for that call, Paula. That's a scam, though. That text, HSE, close contact, blah, 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 and click here to buy tests. Scamaroonie. 0818-969696 Access all areas on Cork's 96FM Your guide to nightlife on Leaside Hi, it's Michael with an update on Cork's entertainment Legendary blues musician Eric Bibb announces a Cork show at Cypress Avenue on May 29th in support of his upcoming new album due for release in the spring Tickets are now on sale at cypressavenue.ie Access all areas A voice that's as haunting as it is uplifting and inspires in the same breath as it renders you speechless is something that's possessed by Irish singer-songwriter Ellie O'Keefe and you can check out what it's all about when Ellie comes to Collins on Thursday, December 29th. Access All Areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. More on nice people giving coats to those out of the cold uh, this time of year. Owen says at the back of the queue park behind Ross's motorcycles on Pine Street, there is a homeless coat rack. It seems to be provided by whoever's doing construction work on the Camden Hotel project. You can put coats there to be used by the less fortunate. Thanks for that, Owen. 0818 96 96 96. Now, it looks as if the times there are changing and changing rapidly in the end. With regard to something we've talked about on this program before, I speak of international surrogacy and how you can have surrogacy, bring home the surrogate child and raise them as your own, as they are, but they have no rights. And they're not recognised in law and it's complex and it's upsetting 
and it, it just makes life very difficult for the parents and indeed for for the children uh, down the line. That's all about to change because Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly is bringing the Assisted Human Reproduction Bill to Cabinet. In fact, he has done it this week and all of the amendments on surrogacy seem to have been accepted and gone through. Irish families through surrogacy were at Leinster House uh, to meet the Minister after he brought it to Cabinet. And I'm joined by Cathy Wheatley, who is representing uh, that group on the opinion line this morning. Cathy, I've been talking to you and others from this group for, for quite some time now. Things are moving quickly in the end. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Very yeah, well. I think you, sum, you summed it up in a nutshell there. It's, it's actually quite surreal just listening, you know, to, to, to the rate of, you know, how many times we've all been on and bearing our souls and telling our stories and, um, you know, really trying to make people understand surrogacy. Um, and for now, for us to be here today, to wake up this morning and to, to actually have the reality that it, it's going to be accepted and we're finally going to be recognised as families is just so surreal. Now, your twins are Ted and Elsie and they're yours in all but yeah. law. And that yes. law, what limitations does that place? Look, I mean, I, I'm very lucky with with my husband. I'm, you know, in a very happy marriage, but we have people in our organisation who, unfortunately, you know, through no fault of their own, things happen. And everything that I have access to Ted and Elsie is dependent on my husband's permission. I cannot take them out of the country without my husband's permission. He needs to sign their medical forms. He needs to sign for CalPol if they're in the crash. He, yeah, it, it's, I mean, I can't sign a permission slip for a school trip. They call um, you mammy, but you can't approve CalPol no, for the crash. I'm, exactly. I'm invisible in law. I'm invisible. Um, and, and for me personally, I think... Um, it's been a very difficult road because the reason why we had to avail of surrogacy was my first little girl, baby Helen, was stillborn. We lost her at birth. I'm sorry to hear that. And, you know, at that point, you're an invisible mammy. You're a mammy, but you have no no child to show for it. And then through surrogacy and the miracle of our fantastic surrogate, Ivana, I now have two children, but I'm still invisible. And so the fact that now, finally, it, it literally, we want to shout it from the rooftop, you know, we're finally, the women of this country are not going to be invisible anymore. The women of this country are going to have the same rights as their husbands yeah. um, in regard to surrogacy. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's long overdue. Um, but it's, it's not just about us. It's also about um, same-sex male couples who have to fill up surrogacy to create their families and Ireland was very progressive in bringing in the Marriage Equality Act and then all of a sudden there was these obstacles in the way of couples facing um, trying to create their family. So, you know, it really it really is a move forward in the right direction for huge, Ireland. Huge time of change and we spend enough time knocking the government, much of, which they, much of it they earn. But on this occasion, Stephen Donnelly seems to be doing the right thing and doing it quickly. Iwana is the surrogate. Do I understand she lives with you, Cathy? Yes, she does. Yeah, yeah, that was a whole other story. So um, we had our children in the Ukraine. Um, a lot of Irish couples had gone to the Ukraine because it's legal in the Ukraine. You need to have a medical condition to avail of it. Um, and the standards for surrogates um, and their welfare are really good. So a lot of Irish couples would have gone to the Ukraine. And um, we had gone, obviously, and we'd met Ivana. And um, we'd built a strong relationship with her. I mean, anybody who carries your your children, you're going to have a strong bond with. And when the war broke out in, in Ukraine, 
Ivana was over there with her three children. Her baby was only four months old. Um, and the fear I felt in my heart for her and her children was just too much. So I went and got her and uh, I went a bit crazy and I went, I went over to Ukraine. I got her and I brought her back home. Um, and so not against her will, by the way, like she wanted to come. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and now we're all living here in County Wicklow. And, and are, her, are, are her kids with her, with her? Yeah. So we have her three kids with her and we now have her mom as well. Really? Um, so, yeah, yeah. Wait, where are they? Have, you, have you got a big house or something? No, no, we have a little cottage. The PJ people laugh at us all the time, you know. They're going, God, you, God you, you must have a huge mansion up there in Rickle. We have a little cottage on a small sheep farm up in the hills here. Um, but look, like I say, our, our home is small, but our hearts are big and we're making it work. You know, we, we have a, a lot of joy and, and happiness and you know, it's, whatever sacrifices that we have to make is nothing in comparison to what Ivana and her family have to make. Yeah. Santi has been very good this Christmas. Then, in the shape of Stephen Donnelly, it's it's a miracle in all shapes and forms. We we actually, you know, it it took so long for us to to get the government to listen, and there were certain members of the government who really did listen to us. And the International Surrogacy Committee, when that was set up. It was unbelievable. Um, Mary Siri Kearney, Senator Mary Siri Kearney, is a mother through surrogacy. So her voice was at that table, which was invaluable to us. Um, and then we had, you know, our local TDs, Jennifer Whitmore here in Wicklow, was um, chairing it, Kathleen Function, in Kilkenny. All these people, we have our representatives from Cork, every single TD in Ireland was contacted, was representing us. And I have to say, we got a really good reception for them. So mm-hmm. a lot of the work had been done by the International Surrogacy Committee mm-hmm. in itself. Um, but the fact that Minister Donnelly, you know, himself, um, Minister Roderick O'Gorman and Minister Ellen McEntee, who obviously just had her second baby, so she wasn't there with us yesterday. Yes. Um, <clears throat> the work that they have done has been phenomenal and well, their department well, well, crazy. Well, credit where it's due to the government um, for that. I remember the first time I talked to him, a member of your group, Cathy, lovely woman here uh, based in, in Mallow. And mm-hmm. In the space of the 20 minutes we were talking, I learned more than I'd ever known before. Did you find that when you went talking to people in high office or in any office, that they had no clue of the limitations on little Ted and Elsie and yourself? Uh, They they didn't know and were they shocked to find it out? Yeah, I mean, you constantly, you know, we, we banged on every door. We went to every political party and that was one thing we were lucky with. We got cross-party support on this and they didn't make it a political issue. They made it about our children. So that's what really worked, I suppose. But we, we, we spoke to people who had no idea what surrogacy was and why would they, you know? At, and what we always say is, you know, now it's at our door, but nobody knows in the future what problems your children, grandchildren, anybody could have. And if this could be any family that's affected. And I think when we sit down and talk to them about the basis of it, you know, like I said, we live on a farm here in Wicklow. God forbid if anything happened to my husband, my children couldn't inherit the farm from me. You know, they'd be legal strangers will, to me. Will, I'd have will, to will that change this? This, this will 100% change this. Right. They will be absolutely, I will be their parent um, and they will be afforded the same provisions as every other legal child-parent relationship. So it's it, it, it's really outstanding and, and we can't even find words to put into the fact that it is a Christmas miracle because they have worked really hard and what they've done in the last couple of months since the recommendations were made has been truly amazing. Um, and I think meeting them and also them meeting their children made a difference. You know, sometimes you 
read these stories, but when you're standing there and you're looking at all the little children born through surrogacy who are Irish citizens who are entitled to the same protection as every other child in Ireland, then I think it really does make a difference. And, and thankfully for us and our family, it has. Yeah, so hopefully by, it's by Easter time now, um, President yeah. Higgins will, will sign the, the Yeah, fingers crossed. This, this, that's what I said, this should be our last Christmas then we, we wake up that we are not recognised like every other family in Ireland and next Christmas we will have that recognition and, and that's worth more than any present in the world. How old are the twins now? They're three. Ah. They're three. Oh, <laughs> full of excitement, so. Oh, it's all, it's mad, it's mad crack here in my house. We have five kids here all together because we have my twins. We have Ivana's kids. Which how are how eight. old are her kids? So her kids are eight, seven and then Luda just turned one. So oh it's, yeah, yeah. So we, we, <laughs> we, we, when, when a sickness hits the house, it hits us all. But, um, it's, um, look, it's, it's, my mum calls it beautiful pandemonium. And that's what it is. <laughs> it's like the it's, toy show on Christmas morning. It is. It's beautiful pandemonium here. That's what it is. But oh, we're, um, we're forever grateful that we, we get to have this connection, um, right. and that they're safe and we're safe. So it's, it's, it's two, it's two lovely stories, actually, really, when you think about it. Not only, not only have you got two beautiful children. But you've now got lifelong friends who are living with yes. you as well. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we're learning all new things all the time. So it's, it's amazing. All right. Listen, good to talk to you. And have a, have a wonderful Christmas with your rapidly extending family. Cathy Wheatley, that bill going out to go through the house, fly through the house, which means that by Easter time, hopefully, Ted and Elsie will have all the same rights that they're entitled to, and so will their mummy. Thank you. That's great news. 0818 96 96 96. Kevin says, Kevin O'Sullivan, just wow. No words needed. What a woman she is. Yeah, it's a lovely story. And bringing Ivana and the family back from Ukraine. Like, I mean, that's just... I, I thought, right, we should bring home Ivana. And she's got the th- Ivana's three kids and Ivana's mum in a cottage. What a story. <laughs> The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 966 966. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The opinion line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. 0818 966 96 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. And the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. You can also voice messages on the WhatsApp number 083 396 96 96 I think that is on your mind out of hours email is the best way to get us if we're off the air just try the email as a first protocol and we will come back to you now we've talked so much in the last few days about the state of the people on the streets and we're headed for another bitterly cold night tonight according to Alan at Carla Weather according to Cahill the Irish Weather Channel according to Met Aaron, according to pretty much everyone that is watching the weather tonight will be the coldest night of this cold snap now when I came out and sat in the car on Monday morning was it Monday? it was Monday morning it was minus 5 so if it gets down there again it's going to be a bitterly bitterly cold night on the streets of Cork and one would hope that nobody has to stay out there tonight. Nobody has to sleep in a bitterly cold doorway in minus four 
or minus 5. Nobody should be sleeping in a doorway anyway. But at minus 4 or minus 5, you would sincerely hope that that will not happen tonight. Sadly, we almost certainly know that it will. Now, earlier in the week, I was talking to the Lord Mayor, Councillor Deirdre Ford, and she told me that her officials were briefing her on the situation. Their view was that for anybody who needed one and anybody who wanted one, there was a bed. Katrina Toomey of the Penny Dinners says, "Uh uh-uh, not so much. There are people out there staying out there because they have nowhere else to go. Absolutely nowhere else to go. And others, some of them, choose to stay out. Now, for the life of me, I could not figure out how anybody would choose to stay out in a doorway at minus four or minus five if there was a place available for them. I have no idea why somebody might do that. That's maybe where we could start with Paul Sheehan uh, from Cork, Simon. I want to go through a few of the issues with you, Paul. Maybe we'll start with that one. Why would anybody, because we know that some do, but why would anybody choose to stay out and just huddle up under another duvet in weather like we're facing. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Good to talk to you. You too, sir. It is unbelievable. It It, it is difficult to fathom, but there are. Um, I was out with our own team on Friday morning um, and I think it was around minus three. We met quite a few people and our outreach team put it very, very well uh, quite often. Uh, people have experienced a trauma that might be preventing them from coming into an emergency shelter that's packed to the rafters, essentially. But quite often they meet people who don't trust services. They meet people who don't trust workers at those services. That's certainly their experience. And a lot of their work is spending a lot of time just trying to establish a relationship, uh, building up trust to the point where hopefully somebody will come in. I mean, our outreach team talked about one man that they've been meeting for quite a long time now, for several months. He wants nothing to do with us, um, as they put it themselves, but they still check in on him. They still make sure that he's okay. They still look after his, his well-being and see if he needs medical attention. Uh, and, you know, it, it's a, it can often be a very slow and lengthy process. It's amazing what people have been through and how it shapes their view. And the rest of us, we can only, we can only imagine what it must be like. Oh, yeah, I mean, I was layered to the hilt on that Friday morning, yeah. PJ, and the bone, the, the, the cold still gets into your bones, you yeah. know. And, and you know, for some people, rough sleeping is a way of life. It's, yes. you know, they've become institutionalised to it. And they know nothing else. Yes. Paul, let's address the key question, um, which we constantly are told, for anybody who wants a bed tonight, there is a bed. Is that, from your point of view and the work you do with your team, is that true? Yes. We've been working closely with the City Council, with the HSE, with Garthi, with everybody else providing services in the city. Um, there is certainly a space for everybody who wants to come in out of the cold, PJ. And I you know, say space because all the beds are full. Uh, but we've been creating spaces wherever we can, in Anderson's Quay, on the floor, in landings, in our recreation room, in the TV room, mm-hmm. wherever uh, we can find a space where somebody can bed down. Whatever you can, can beds, mattresses, whatever you... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, we wouldn't be turning anyone away. Um, um, you know, particularly in this, in this cold weather um, snap that we're having. And, you know, to be fair to City Council... 
um, you know, if our outreach team advocates on behalf of somebody that they need to be somewhere and perhaps, you know, the shelter isn't the most appropriate environment for them, yeah. uh, to be fair, the City Council will move mountains to try and find a bed for that person. Yeah. You, you've, you've never been more in need of space despite all the resources being put your way. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, every available floor space, PJ, uh, in Anderson's Key at the moment is taken up. I mean, um, you know, uh, we have people sleeping under a landing. Um, it's next to a radiator, so I guess it's welcome, and it's certainly better than being out under the stars and weather like this. Uh, we have found floor space in some of our high support houses, uh, dotted around the city, and people can stay there for the duration. But yeah, every available space is being used. Coming up towards Christmas, I know I was talking to one woman this morning who's presently, she's a woman, broke my heart, she, she has a, a good job with a good company and, and a good wage, and she's, she's living in a hostel at the moment um, and she's terrified because that hostel will as it's entitled to do close for Christmas and she's saying what the hell am I going to do yeah, it's, and you're going to have a lot of that next week Paul. We, are, we're, we have a lot of that all of the time PJ not just this week and next week we have that all of the time look last month we had uh, an average of 75 people a night staying in our emergency shelter that's the highest I have ever seen it uh, since the shelter opened, certainly since I started here. Hang on now, um, Paul. You're there a long time, my friend. How long ago? <laughs> longer than maybe I care to, to say, but since around 2005. Uh, and that is the most people per night staying on an emergency basis in our emergency accommodation last month. And that pressure on services has been building slowly but surely since the summer. In fact, since the last moratorium on rent increases and evictions into homelessness was lifted. Um, when, when we started coming out of the, the last COVID-related lockdown. And um, so, you know, that's happening all the time, and it's not a solution. Um, and what we're looking at at the moment, people sleeping under stairs, on sofas, on the floors of our rec room, on the floors of our TV room, on the floors of our day service. I mean, that's not a solution. That's Dickensian PJ. And, you know, people sleeping out is Dickensian. And there is no question but that there is a need for more emergency beds in the city. Mm-hmm. And that's something we need to take a real cold, hard look at uh, when we get into the new year. Uh, right now, all of our focus is on getting through this week. And, you know, chances are we'll have other cold weather snaps between now and the end of the year. Uh, if not as severe as this, it will still be cold and miserable. Um, and we'll be trying to accommodate as many people as we can. Indeed. We talk constantly about policy and politicians shout at each other across the doll all the time and they go on television shows and shout at each other across the table. Um, are you people like you, Paul, are you ever called into the room and asked, well, what do you need? And if I was the housing minister this morning asking you that question, Paul Sheehan, you've been at the Simon Community for a long time now, what do you need? At the moment, more emergency beds. And um, we see that as a pressing need as we head into 2023. But the real pressing need is affordable housing. And I think everybody can relate to that these days. I mean, um, you know, there is a a severe shortage of housing. There's a particular shortage of one-bedroom housing. Um, Anybody who is stuck in our emergency shelter right now is probably depending more or less on the private rented market to get themselves out. And they really are locked out of that market at the moment. Um, there's no supply. Uh, the supply that's there is far too expensive and is beyond their reach. Um, you know, there is a slow but steady trickle of social and affordable housing coming on street, but mm. it is far too slow and is nowhere near meeting what the needs are. Mm. 
Um, Credit must be given, I guess, Paul, to to the council who even even Owen O'Brien, and I, I say that, like if you're pleasing Owen O'Brien, that's that's a tough call. But he, you know, even on Owen O'Brien of Sinn Féin looks at Cork and said, well, to be fair to the council, they've built everything and are building everything they've said they would. They just need to do an awful lot more. Yeah, and that's right across the board, not just in Cork, but you know, nationally. But you know, there is there are a lot of fours there where you know Simon is represented in one way or another. Uh, there's a lot of talking going on that has to happen, and it's welcome. But things are moving far too slowly, PJ. Like we were delighted when uh, the, the the latest moratorium was introduced on on rent increases and evictions into homelessness, and that hopefully will give us a breathing space over the next few months. But that's due to be lifted in March. And are we going to be back at square one again where we were 12 months ago? Moratorium is lifted. We see a, a slow but steady increase in people presenting to homeless services again. Like We need much more than a breathing space at this stage. And if the government can do anything now, it is to use that breathing space to do everything they can to bring every available uh, piece of housing into use so that people first don't get pushed into homelessness and that's an ever-increasing prospect given the housing crisis and the cost of living crisis, but also people that are stuck in emergency shelters, many for years on NPJ, that they have an opportunity to get out. In terms of space, there's a lot of empty space there, even here in the city centre, as I look down to Patrick, it's a lot of empty space. Like, can, can, can your group, can your people, can you turn a space around and make a shelter out of it if the resources are given to you? Well, it certainly could. I mean, it would take a little bit of time because, yeah. you know, there are, it has to be somewhere safe. Yes. Um, it has to be where somebody, where people feel safe. Um, obviously, you know, it needs to be staffed. Um, obviously, it needs volunteers. It needs funding. Um, it can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it needs, it needs the political will and it needs the funding, PJ, uh, for it to happen. All and right. I think, you know, we'll be putting some focus on that in the new year. Okay, and I think, Paul, at this stage, you're, you've been saying this over and over and over and over again. Do you ever get sick and tired of banging your head off that wall? To be honest, no, PJ, because uh, I think what... Um, I, have, I have a picture here on my desk of a man who was stuck in our emergency shelter far longer than I've been working here. Uh, he was here when I started working here. He was in and out of that shelter all through the, the, the last 15 years or so. Um, you know... Uh, 12 months ago, um, he eventually moved into a flat of his own that he could afford. Um, and, you know, he's been doing really well since. And it's cases like that that really, you know, keep us going. They drive you on. They drive you on. Yeah. Every, every little yeah. one of those is a win. Paul, thank you. Paul Sheehan of the Cork Simon community. Paul and I go back a lot further than his time in the Cork Simon community because in the previous life, Paul was a pretty good broadcaster. Paul Sheehan, um, thank you. We are doing our bit today here at Cork's 96 FM and I hope you're doing yours to raise plenty of money for Simon with the Christmas Jumper Day. Do it wherever you want at work, in school, at home online if people still do that to raise vital funds because nobody wants a child to be homeless on Christmas Day and unfortunately some will this year let's hope that for next year uh, that number would be zero. Your Christmas Jumper Day funds go towards it. Get a funding pack at CorkSimon.ie and join Cork's 96FM and Cork Simon and Paul and his team to battle and hopefully end homelessness in Cork. We're playing all your favourite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's 96FM. Merry Christmas.
Christmas with your local Mace. Great value deals for family and friends this Christmas. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. Whitechurch Choral Service takes place this Sunday, the 18th of December, at St. Patrick's Church, Whitechurch. Featuring Cork Gal, the Sunday Choir, local singers, and members of the Choral Service Orchestra. This year, due to demand, there will be three services at 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and half 7. The event is tickets only, but tickets are free, and donations will go towards the Rainbow Club Cork Centre for Autism. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to Cork Diary at 96fm.ie The Cork Diary With CorkSimon.ie No one wants their child to grow up to be homeless on Christmas Day On Cork's 96FM The homeless situation came up at the council meeting on Monday night and uh, Sinn Féin Councillor Mick Nugent the chief exec said to you that there is a bed for everyone who needs it at the moment Paul Sheehan at the Simon says well bed is pushing it a bit there's a space but he's never seen the emergency accommodation as full as as stuffed, as jammed since he started working in Simon in the early noughties. Emergency, isn't it, Mick Nugent? It is, PJ. It is. It is. It has been an emergency and a crisis for um, a number of years. And and I would know Paul and, you know, we would work with Cox Simon and they'd be represented on our Housing Strategic Policy Committee as well. And we're meeting next Monday and sure we'll have further discussion there, you know. So there is a lot of pressure on PGN. As Paul said, look, they're really, they turn home no way. They're really stretched and they're using every available space they have. And that probably goes for others as well, um, other service providers as well, you know. We, we've been told that it's not as easy as just taking some place over. But is it time to start looking at it? as an emergency, maybe make and bring in, have the army help? Because they would. One phone call to Collins Barracks, and you know what the answer would be. What do you need and where do you need it? I think so. I think you have to look at all all the the opportunities or the possibilities now in the last, look, in the last number of years um, during the pandemic. There has been extra capacity. Um, the council has been able to avail of extra capacity and then you have the winter provision as well and Last year, that was extended, um, or this year extended to at least March, and that may that may happen as well. But as you say, PJ, you have to look at you know people have talked about the old car prison and and other availabilities. I think um, there is capacity there at the moment. You know, this should be a, if it's not a bed, a space for people that need it under, under, um, under, the, under the stairs on a mattress. You know, I yeah, guess it's it's, not, it's, it's warmer than a doorway, but it yeah. ain't a bed. It ain't a bed. Yeah, it's not ideal, and you know a lot of hidden homeless as well. PJ, you know a lot of people uh, in rooms, in in box rooms, in in people's houses, and uh, parents and grandparents as well. So there's a lot of that going well, PJ. Um, and when they do, when people do go into the accommodation placement service, a lot of time people are told, look. Look for. Um, we'll try and find you somewhere to rent, and we'll help you with the deposit, and we'll help you with the first month's rent. But there's very, very little out there to rent. Okay, PJ, so there's a lot of pressure yeah. in the service. You know, yeah. and we actually did look. Another thing we had looked at, um, PJ, in the last um, council as well. You know, when there's occasions when services are full, you know, somewhere maybe a kind of a last resort. You know, two or three or four o'clock in the morning if if places are full. Or somebody's only looking for somewhere there, somewhere you know, a space or something or somewhere like that. 
we actually were speaking at one someone, stage. Someone suggested the library. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that came up at the council meeting as well, uh, Councillor Lana Bog. She, you know, calling it a heat hub. Yes. You know, somewhere that during the day, not, not, not necessarily somebody who's homeless, it could be somebody who's elderly, who's trying to cut down on their bills, that can go somewhere during the day. And Lana was talking about some sort of facility that would, of course, be availed of people that are homeless as well. Um, and the council's reply, well, look, the libraries are there. The tw- 10 or 12 libraries, people can go in there during the day and they won't be ushered out and get a bit of heat. And they're going to go at 4 in the morning, paper, though, you know? when it's minus 3. That's the thing. And we we looked at that at the last council. Um, we didn't really get to a conclusion. And Simon and, you know, Bernard O'Hare, you know, Bernard, Bernard came yeah. into us and others came into us and we were discussing that as well. Somewhere like that at that hour in the morning. I think Dublin, Peter McFerry Trust would have that facility, you know, that... 24-7, like, there's somewhere for, for you to go, like, you know. Um, I think we need to look at that further and other opportunities or facilities as well just to get us through the next number of weeks and months and even further on, PJ, you know. The next number of nights, Mick, because, you know, Simon, they they will not turn anybody away, but they're literally mm. putting people, th- apart from sleeping on shelves at this stage. And, and I was just talking to a woman this morning who's working in a good job with a good wage, and as they say, good prospects, and she's living in a hostel. That's it, PJ. And, you know, people over the years might have had perceptions of people that might be homeless or people that need to avail of services. But, um, and I know Tommy Gould spoke about it in the Dáil yesterday during the debate about just ordinary people, ordinary families, even people where there's pe- two people working in a house and they get notices to quit. There's a mounted notices to quit at the moment, and people. Some people, like um, the person who was amateur this morning, may never thought they would need the services, but they do now, and they're really, really stretched. And as I say, there's people in box rooms and people living in relatives or in coaches, and just a huge amount of pressure there at the moment, PJ. Um, so all the services are really stretched. And um, I know Katrina was on, and she said, look, there is at times when people have nowhere to go, but... And, I've, and I would always say to Katrina and others, I know Katrina very well, you know, if, if there is someone there, we'll try and help them ourselves as well to make sure they get a space, you know. In the UK, some people, I know in London, you'd often see some, on, some poor devil on, on the tube, up and down on the tube all night, just stay warm. You know, we don't have that here, but we don't, you know. I know, but I think you have, I know people who actually will nearly spend a day on the bus. Yes, right. spend days and buses buses even going around just past the time but also I'd say possibly even for the company and also maybe might be that warm in the bus now going around but you know and there's people that do go into the library and there's people that go other, uh, other places yeah. and obviously Simon would have their you could use Simon as well Colin yeah. there during the day they have yeah. facility for people to drop in during the day as in, well in the know. UK I've been reading about this there are some of the homeless services actually have buses where you can go and sit and get warm and get a bite to eat and they just they just pick people up and you know mind yeah them. and again that's an idea I know that was even looked at at one stage as well even you know during the day you could have a bus or as I said a mobile unit that you know out of office hours somebody could just you know um, step into or sit into and get a cup of tea and keep warm for 
number of hours or yeah. maybe avail of some information for the services that are out there like and I fact, was walking down help, you know? I was walking downtown on Friday make, I was going to meet a, a friend for lunch and as you know Friday was a bitterly bitterly cold day and there was some poor devil whoever he is he was trying to get a bit of sleep in the doorway of the old Debenhams wrapped up in as many duvets as he could get and like wouldn't it be great for him that the, even if there was just a bus that he could get on and get something to eat and sit down and stay warm rather than be trying to stay in a bloody doorway at minus two. Absolutely. And no, a number of nights during the week, um, there is different support groups. You'd often see them outside. Yeah, yeah. They all survive there on Patrick Street. And, you know, they do a lot of work, um, Street Angels, and there's other groups and services there. And they would have hot food and fairness to the, the volunteers in that. So they're there. I say there's a different group out most nights of the week in town. So that's something. Um, but without those groups and voluntary groups and likes of Katrina and Simon, you know, where would you, where would you be? But there is the issue, PJ, as you mentioned as well, you know, and we just discussed this at council before as well at that committee about, you know, people who don't want to come in, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. As, as Paul was saying, it, it, choice is maybe too strong a word. They just feel that they can't because of the experiences that they've had in their life. Mick, I'll leave it there. We can talk all day, unfortunately. We're not going to solve it, but, but we're trying to highlight the, the dearth of, of provision out there. Not that no one wants to provide us because that they're up to, I mean, there's, the, I, as I said, I know Paul Sheehan a long time and, and the shock in hearing that since he joined the Simon community in the early noughties, maybe 2004, 2005, he's never seen the emergency accommodation as jammed as it is this year. And he's there, what, 17 years now? He's never seen it so jammed. Despite the best efforts of him and his team and others, and Katrina Toomey, and to be fair, to be fair, the council do a lot of work on the ground as well. But despite all of that, it's never been as jammed as it is this year. 0818 96 96 96. Almost feel guilty talking about food um, after that. But I will because, look, you know, thankfully many of us don't have to worry about where we'll sleep over Christmas. And that's a. You're being right. That's how, it's, you're so lucky to be able to say, I don't have to worry. That's lucky. I consider myself very lucky when I listen to the people that I talk to here on the programme. And for those of us who are lucky enough to be able to do that, we're looking at what we'll buy for the Christmas dinner. I am a big fan of spiced beef, I have to say. I always have some. Probably the only one in the house that eats it, but I probably. I love some spiced beef over the Christmas, but I've never tried spiced buffalo onomahani from O'Mahony's in the English market. Spiced buffalo? Wouldn't it be as tough as old boots? Morning. Morning, Peter. How are you? Good. Oh, God, no. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be tough at all. It's absolutely beautifully tender, just like your spiced beef would be. Really? And where does it come from? It comes from the McCroom buffalo herd in McCroom. So you've probably seen the ad of the of Johnny Lynch riding on the buffalo. Yeah. So the, the male buffaloes don't give milk, obviously, so that's where I come in. I see. The, the, yeah. the, the female buffalo, they they make mozzarella cheese out of that, don't they? I do, but a cow has to produce a calf every year in order to lactate to produce milk. Yes. So uh, by the law of averages, half of them are born male because there's no AI fertilisation with it. So the lads go off and live for 18 months on his brother's farm 
Right. And then, then they come into us. So we save up. We, we go through about a buffalo every month. It's quite, po- quite a popular meat, actually, particularly right. amongst people from, a lot of people from India would come to look for us because they eat buffalo but they don't tend to eat beef. That's right. And is it a different type of meat, Owen? It is. So It's a red meat, I take it. It's, it's a red meat, yes, but it would be slightly more gamey than beef would be. Okay. So it's got a, a, a stronger flavour, but it's very, very nice, very, very tender. Mm. I've never tried it. I must try. And uh, I know that the, the Indian people, they do eat buffalo. I didn't realise that until I went there. I thought the cow was sacred and they don't eat beef, but actually they eat buffalo, which is a, a big... You, you, you in, also... Yeah, go on. In parts, it's sweeping generalisations talk about... Uh, um, a subcontinent like that, but I suppose parts, they would exist. Yeah, I know. Yeah, um, you do other things. Do you goat? We do kid goat occasionally, uh, and we do veal. So these are all byproducts of Ireland's burgeoning um, dairy industry. So as a byproduct of that, there is male calves produced. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to stop the live exports yes. and produce it here. I see. So a male calf is born. And in the dairy industry, a male calf is unfortunately not much use to the industry, but you'll make another use of it. Exactly. And it's not, it's not much good for beef either. Yeah. So it's only, it's only good when we're younger. Coming up to Christmas, uh, you're, is the turkey and ham sort of... I'm still a devout turkey and ham man for Christmas Day. But other people are trying other things, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Like our biggest seller now is dry-edged prime rib beef. That's a massive seller for Christmas time and sirloin. So people are going for roast beef or they're going for something a little bit different. Free-range porchetta is another thing we do, which is like the loin and the belly rolled together with some fennel seeds, orange zest, lemon zest, parsley and garlic. Right. That's that's alone. So that's a really nice festive dinner as well. Um, but we still do sell quite a few geese and we sell quite a few turkeys, but um, our, our capacity is limited, so we sell out quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a shortage of turkey this year? No, there's no shortage. No, we were, that I can guarantee you that. We were all worried about that because of the bird flu and all that kind of thing. Well, by and large, poultry would be brought in at the start of December anyway in order to fatten them up, and it gets colder outside. So I see. Um, it kind of wouldn't affect it if they were outdoors. Had it hit a bit earlier, it might have been very, very different. I see. I see. And do you do like the, is the crown of the, the crown of turkey? Is that becoming more popular because legs generally tend to go to waste and wings can go to waste. Is the crown a thing now? It, oh, the crown is a thing, but it's very funny, um, we sell the legs like hotcakes. Uh, people have changed. There's a lot of people are looking for just the brown meat and a lot of people are looking for just the white meat, so we have a balance. <laughs> so, well, you have to sell everything. <laughs> yeah, you do. It's a big old bird, like. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But what we do is, uh, for a lot of people, is we do a half a turkey split down the breastbone. And that means that you can get all the benefit of, of having, having a nice turkey without having to have it for like three or four days or five or six days. And do you do these ones where you get a, a turkey with a... Is it a goose that's hiding it and a, the triple... The, the turducken? The tur yeah. <laughs> no, we don't. But there are specialist poulters in the English market. We're blessed with that. So if you went down to Daphne O'Sullivan's, I'm quite sure she would sort you out. Although I would imagine they're pretty much sold out at this stage. I would say so. I would say so. It's busy in there. It's great to see it. The, 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 tills, are, the tills are jingling, which is fantastic to see. How's the season been on? You're there a while now. Oh, it's, it's good so far. It's good so far. People are, are tired of the misery that we've been listening to all year and looking forward to a nice Christmas. 
All right. Is that a kick? It's <laughs> <laughs> not a two, no. <laughs> I'm only messing with you, boy. Only... Listen, have a great season. I, I love, in the last week of before Christmas, I love a couple of wanders around the English market to pick up a few little bits and pieces. So I'll be over, I'll be over to you. Uh, get a little bit of spice buffalo, maybe for the... I must try. I'm dying to try it now. Thank you, Ono Mahoney, from O'Mahony's Butcher at the English market. There's a thing now. And maybe if we only have a few minutes left today. Have you abandoned turkey and ham or you trying something else uh, Barry would tell you a story Barry the newsroom would tell you a story about the time he had salmon barbecued salmon for Christmas dinner now the reason is there was a power cut and the oven wouldn't work and he turned on the barbecue and put salmon on I suppose do you do beef do you do goose do you do what do you, what do, you do um, I know that when the Eastern Europeans came over to Ireland in large numbers carp became very popular they eat that big, huge carp on on Christmas Eve. Now, I love fish, lads. If it swims, I'll eat it. But carp is horrible. Oh, it's full of bones. But what other things do people have on uh, on on Christmas Day? What? You can't put a turkey into the air fryer. Surely you can't. Surely you wouldn't put a turkey in the air fryer, would you? So let me get this right. There is an article in the Irish Daily Mail by, or the, the Daily Mail, the UK Mail, by Sarah Rainey, where she got an entire Christmas dinner cooked in an air fryer. Now, you can't do the whole thing at once, but she did a turkey crown and she did her roast potatoes and pigs in blankets. I don't know, are they a thing here? They're lovely, but are they a thing here? Pigs in blankets. Salt spoked, just sprouts. Salt, sprouts, I love sprouts, I love... Parsnips, you can keep the parsnips. Stuffing balls, I'm not a big fan of stuffing, but she did that. Red cabbage, she did red... And gravy. And she did a Christmas pudding. The whole lot took her two hours, 25 minutes, three hours, 45 minutes. The total cost of energy for her was... Would have been 374 in a traditional oven... And it cost her one thirty-two pounds in the air fryer, so it cost her about eighty-five percent less in terms of energy. But cooking a Christmas dinner in a traditional oven—they're saying here in the UK—will cost in a traditional oven cost you about four euro. That's that's not a whole pile of money either for a full Christmas. Yeah, I I love Christmas. I love pigs and blankets. I just wonder—is it the thing that people have to have them here? But they're a gorgeous. A pig. In case you're wondering what a pig in a blanket is, if you've never heard of it, some people have. A pig in a blanket is basically a little sausage wrapped in a little rasher. That's what it is. It's like a little mouthful. Gorgeous little, 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 little tiny sausage and wrapped in a little rasher. And you fry the whole thing. Absolutely gorgeous. 0818 96 96 96. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. If we gave you 10,000 euro for Christmas, how would you spend it? Details on how you can win coming up. And free tickets to next summer's Live at the Marquee up for grabs as well. I'll see you from 12 on Cork's 96 FM. Mark suggests for Christmas for the homeless opening up school gyms. Uh, there's schools all over the place. The army would supply camp beds, etc. And at least they'd be warm in there and maybe a few military ration packs and if you're worried about security maybe a soldier or two would would watch the place I know military families are going to say hasn't we got enough to do but you know what I mean you know what I mean 
the army are brilliant when they do something like that. If you wonder why the how did the vaccination centre work so well at the City Hall, because the army were doing the logistics, getting people in and out. But anyway, I, I digress. But Mark says, yeah, open up a few gymnasiums and put beds in there for, for the Christmas for people who can't get a bed. I know someone who is moving abroad to work for a year. So he's renting out his house, says... I don't know your name, but you go, you go under Mavy Wavy. So I assume your name is Wave. Mave? Wave, Mave. Um, moving abroad to work for a year. He's renting out his house while he's away. A management company told him it'll get two and a half thousand a month. It's just a three bed semi. Wow. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I have never in my entire life, and I'm around a bit, I have never heard the bells of the North Cathedral. They have been out of commission for pretty much all of my life. But they will be ringing again this weekend. Dear Mudo Donovan, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Good. This has been ongoing for a long time now to get them ringing again. Well, it has been, yeah, I suppose the idea came originally, I suppose, back 2018, 2019, when um, Canon John O'Donovan, who's the administrator of the cathedral, had the idea. He's, I suppose, he's the real hero of the story insofar as he's the man that has the ideas and has the vision. And then he ropes the rest of us in to give him a hand. But he he felt that you know that um, it was about time that the cathedral bells um, were sounded again to give status and to the cathedral as it is the cathedral of the the diocese of Cork and of Ross in West Cork as well. Mm. So uh, um, he he got the his finance committee together and said we're we're going to do this. Then COVID got in the way for a while. So while plans were drawn up, the whole activity itself was actually um, I suppose suspended for another bit. But um, most of the work has been going on all year to restore the bells to make them safe. Um, it's it's not a pleasant job going up there, and especially the way it was at the start of the year. There was yeah. a lot of a lot of generations of pigeons had lived up there for a long time. God, smell. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 clean and tidy now again, and the bells are back in working order. And um, hopefully for the, for the future, from next Saturday on, that they will you know announce mm. all the different things Brilliant. that go on. The and is there a caroling system, David, that so, can someone can actually play them? Like there will be. Right. Um, we're, we're, the automatic side of it is done now and there will be a situation where you can play them. That's phase two, Very which good. we hope to um, finish next year, which will make the, the, the whole bell system available to the public for tours and uh, etc. As, as part of the whole Shandon uh, historical area project. Fabulous. When, so, will, you know, when will we hear them for the first time then? Saturday after five o'clock mass. Bishop Fenton Gavin is uh, saying the Mass and there will be a short service after us to bless them. And uh, then we people will be asked to go outside and we will be lighting up the cathedral for the first time as well. Brilliant. So it'll be, you know, you'll be able to see it from Bellsfield across the other side. You'll be able to see it from Grand. Uh, you'll be able to see it from the air and you'll be hear the bells for the first time and you'll be able to see the cathedral in all its glory. Excellent, excellent. And they'll be fine and loud and you hear them right across the city. A historic moment. The bells of the North Cathedral ringing after being silent for 50-something years. That'll be something to hear Saturday evening. Something else to hear this weekend will be the Christmas jingle. Marguerite, big night ahead, big day ahead this weekend. Tell me more. Morning. Good morning, PJ, and uh, thanks for having me. Yes, we are. Uh, we're, we're doing a slight variation on the Christmas jingle again this year, so it's been its 
fifth year running now as such and uh, what, what we're going to do is we're uh, Christmas Jingle as you know PJ is a charity uh, fundraiser mm-hmm. event and this year we're donating to uh, Enable Ireland so all of the, the proceeds go to Enable Ireland so what we're going to do is we're, we're taking the balcony of the Oliver Plunkett mm-hmm. um, at 3pm on this coming Saturday just to we're normally indoors as you know and it's a sit down affair and things like that and we're still going to have a variation of that inside the Oliver Plunkett where you can get mulled wine and nibbles and things like that as part of the ticket Uh, but yeah I suppose with Enable Ireland obviously accessibility is is an issue and and for some people this year as well they're still a bit cautious about health and things like that so we wanted to do something a little bit different I suppose and uh, you know it's a busy day and there'll be shoppers around so we kind of wanted to do an alternative take for myself Myself and Connor O'Shea, ah, uh, the loungeman, loungee uh, as you call him. Uh, so it's the loungeman and the songstress on the balcony of the the Oliver Plunkett at three pm on Saturday. All right, and full of Christmas songs. Um, as I say, there's tickets available on Eventbrite with all of the money going to Enable Ireland, um, and the ticket covers your mulled wine, your your nibbles, your and again, it's all for charity. Uh, so yeah, so it's, we're looking forward to it. We can, we're very, very excited. The best, the best of Christmas cheer. The Christmas jingle this Saturday at three o'clock uh, at the Oliver Plunkett in aid of Enable Ireland. The songstress and the loungeman entertaining from the balcony. If you don't mind entertaining from the balcony, there's posh. That's it for today. The programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. We'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. You guys ready? Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96FM. This Christmas could be very merry and bright if you can figure out our Christmas cash stars. It's back again this week and there's 10 grand up for grabs if you can tell us who our three celebrities are. Christmas cash stars. We'll be making those calls on the big drive home. we got some celebrities popping by with their favourite Christmas things and we'll sort you out with the best music mix for going home time in Cork. So join me every weekday from four. The big drive home. Cork's 96 FM. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.